Welcome to LNG TV, bringing you dynamic conversations, thought-provoking reflections and inspiring stories from the leaders, pioneers and change agents spearheading growth across gas and LNG markets worldwide and shaping the transition to a cleaner, more sustainable and prosperous global energy landscape of tomorrow. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to LNG TV. On today's episode of LNG Leaders, we're discussing mega projects and we're delighted to welcome Louis Bong. Louis spent 40 years with Total, focusing on mega projects and operations management. In a highly international career, he's worked in Norway, across the Middle East and Africa, before his final role as managing director of the integrated ICTHIS LNG project. He saw that 45 billion US dollar project through to successful startup in 2019. Now Louis is a strategic advisor. So we look forward to discussing his views on the changing world of mega projects. So from the south of France, we welcome you Louis to LNG TV. Thank you very much. It's great to have you with us. You were part of the panel of experts for McKinsey's The Art of Project Leadership Report. Um, having successfully delivered over 55 billion dollars worth of projects yourself. Um, you're well qualified to answer the question whether project leadership is actually more of an art or a science. Well, thank you, Will. That, that's a very good question, actually, because uh, project people are different, are always considered as a little bit special in the company. And I would say maybe it's a little bit of both, actually. It's certainly a science because you you need to know the processes, you need to know how to how to manage the project, how to manage the, the contracts. But, uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's a good idea to call that an art as well, because uh, again, project managers are a little bit different in the sense that uh, they have to manage a, a huge project and a huge team. And it's a little bit like uh, being in a fortress. So you want to make sure that uh, people inside are happy to be there and, and uh, excited to do the work, but you need to protect everyone against the uh, outsiders. Uh, and uh, to do that, uh, well, there's, uh, there's ways to do it. It's even more um, complex than the normal managing a, a company for a CEO, for example. And you have, to, you have to protect your project, you have to ensure the ownership and uh, sometimes you have to play a role and act a little bit more than in other situations. So yes, it's the art of project management indeed. We'll be discussing that art a little bit later, but first just mega projects in general. Um, ICFIS was 45 billion US dollars. Do you think that such large integrated LNG projects will be seen again in the future? Well, if we're talking about LNG, definitely because uh, we need LNG. Uh, we need LNG to, to replace uh, oil. Uh, we need energy to be able to get rid of coal as much as we can. Uh, the renewable energies are obviously the top priority for everyone today, but it will take some time to have enough and to put them in place. So LNG is very important and, and a lot of companies do that, know that. So yes, there will be more LNG projects. They are always big projects, expensive. They will be different because uh, of the more and more pressure on the, on the environmental side, but there will be more. $45 billion, well, 
I don't know. This one it was a little bit extreme. It's a big project, several offshore floaters, Australia. But there will be more. Yes, you can see in Qatar, actually. Qatar has just launched a huge project on their side as well, for example. Do you feel that the development of mega projects has changed over the years or do you think it's going to change in the future? Oh, yes. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's always um, changed or progressed uh, in the last uh, 20 years since I've been dealing with big projects, the way to manage them, the way to, to, to deal with the contractors. But uh, today there's a definite change because the projects have to be much more focused on on low CO2 emissions in particular, and that, that puts a big constraint on the project in terms of cost as well. And also because of the today, everybody's realized that a huge crisis like what we've seen with the COVID can actually happen, and that increases the risks. So the, the, all the stakeholders, companies and contractors, they, they, they face this in a different manner. So, so um, they tend to be more protective. They change the, the way they are going to, to work. The risk increases for everyone. So, so yes, the, the project will be definitely very different after this uh, present period. So you're currently, Louis, uh, working as a sort of strategic projects advisor to Impex and other um, global energy companies. Um, I'm interested in terms of your, as your role as a strategic advisor, you know, your view on what are the sorts of things, particularly in the changing world that we're talking about and living in today, what are the sorts of things that are keeping CEOs up at night? Well, um, I, I hope, I hope they, they can sleep uh, peacefully and compartmentalise, otherwise uh, they, they will have a hard time. But that being said, um, I think a few years ago, the CEO's main issue was profitability of my company. The, uh, the discoveries of the exploration wells in progress. And uh, today, it's very different. Today, the CEO must really have difficulties. They, they must really have difficulties to sleep at, at night, wondering whether their company will still exist uh, in a few months' time or in a few years' time. Because today, it's really a question of survival. Either you adapt to the new environment or you you don't survive. So that's certainly a different scale of uh, worries, of concerns for the CEO and CEOs. And that's why you see all the all the majors, all the contractors, all the, the companies are reacting so violently to, to, to what's happening today. Yeah, I'd like to just kind of keep on that because I think that that's a hugely interesting point that you've made that um, oil and gas companies and energy companies as a whole are going to have to evolve and change. Um, that change for certain organisations is going to be larger than it is for others. Um, with the energy transition, you know, how are you advising and talking to the companies that you're advising with regards to developing low-carbon solutions? Well, um, the companies need to, need to change. They need to find a good pace of, of change. They still need to... Uh, sometimes they, don't, they, they tend to want to change a little bit fast as well and they need to remember that uh, oil and gas is still here and whether we like it or not, we still need oil and gas for quite some time until, until we found other sustainable solutions. Uh, we need oil and gas to, to 
profitable oil and gas to, to, to get cash so that we can finance also the, the renewable energies. So, so there needs to be a change. And today the, today the issue is that uh, uh, because this has happened uh, uh, without much warning actually, so violently, everybody is looking into different directions. So you look around you and you, everybody talks about new energies, uh, renewable, low CO2. Uh, so you hear a lot about hydrogen, about ammonia, carbon capture, uh, carbon CO2 reinjection, wind, solar. And today it's still a little bit immature in the sense that you don't know in which direction you should go. You cannot, a company, in particular smaller companies, cannot start investing everywhere, right? So, so they need to make the right decision and uh, and uh, wait a little bit and see uh, what uh, what's going to happen. So, so my advice at the moment is to 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 to, to look a little bit everywhere, to to take some steps in in the directions that I mentioned there, and then wait where is the rest of the world going so that we'll be ready to 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 massively invest in one direction or or the other but definitely co2 carbon capture carbon injection are things that will be needed to develop our big projects in the future for example and hopefully some big projects in the future um, regarding managing these mega projects do you think that um, to be successful the skill set that you've got um, is closer to a ceo rather than a project director? Well, that's a very interesting question. And I have had this debate in the past uh, before, in particular, when a few years ago in total, when I wanted to convince my boss that I, uh, I was doing the job of a CEO, actually, and not uh, just a project manager, which sometimes uh, is not considered the way it should be. <laughs> but um, all joke apart, it's, uh, it's at the same time similar and very different. It's similar in the way that when you are a project director, you are responsible of budgets that a lot of CEOs have never even been dealing with. ICTIS is a little bit extreme. My previous project in Angola, Passflor, was $9 billion, but that's still a lot of money. And the teams you, you manage are huge. Uh, on, uh, it can be several hundred, several thousand people. So sometimes it's... Uh, so it's quite a lot more than a lot of CEOs. You have the same kind of challenges in managing, in managing teams, in setting objectives. But the big difference is that a project is a, a permanent crisis. So, so you're, like, you're like a crisis management director for three, four, five years nonstop. So it's a little bit challenging for you, for your family, because you never, never stop. And you don't you don't have the time in front of you to to try different things and to to get prepared as much as you can when you are the CEO of a company on the on the long term. So so it's the it's the same probably even higher level of responsibilities, but it's a very different job. And you came from an engineering background. Lots of people might come into um, project management from more commercial or management. Um, background. Uh, what elements from your early career do you think have helped with mega projects? Well, you know what they call engineering schools in France is not, uh, there's a little bit of engineering, but there's a little bit of everything else, including management. So 
I know I usually say I come from engineering side, but not 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 it's not hundred uh, percent correct. Uh, anyway, I think uh, you learn you learn uh, on the spot. You learn on the company. It's good to have some technical background because it's good to know what the project is about, technically speaking. It's good to be able to challenge the, the teams, the specialists, but it's not the most important. I mean, the most important is the management communication side. That's much more difficult, much more difficult to, 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 to gain. It's mainly experience, I think, and you always learn all the time. And um, in fact, I was explaining that to, to the CEO of Impex recently, and I mentioned that uh, uh, if you want to pick a good project manager for this project, you, you don't necessarily need to pick somebody who's got high technical skills, but uh, management and, and communication skills are much more important. So you're never well prepared, I think, but you, you prepare yourself on the spot and, and you learn, you learn all the time. And what skills do you think that you've learned over the years when you're managing projects on the scale of this and on other big projects, um, what's been the, the steepest learning curve or, or things that you perhaps wish you'd known before? Oh, you learn a lot all the time. But uh, I think um, one of the, uh, the, there's two things in terms of learning curves. Each time I've, uh, uh, the last two big projects I've been in charge. So Passflow in Angola and ICTIS in Australia. I joined the project about one year after the project started. I replaced uh, another person each time. And there you have a very steep learning curve because uh, very quickly you're on the spot. You have people knocking at your door and asking for solutions and you need, you need, to, you need to learn very quickly. But the other, the other thing I've, I've learned and sometimes the hard way is that um, uh, the project is a, it's like a high-speed train, you know, like the Shinkansen they had in... Uh, they have in Japan on the TGVs we have in France. And uh, you go through small country stations at the speed of the high-speed trains. And then you have people standing on the side in the station who are who want to be part of it, but they they only can take the the, the suburbs train or the normal train. And and you need to slow down sometimes to take them on board because you you don't want to leave people on the side of the road. And and sometimes if you if you go too fast, that's what happens. And after you, you regret it and these people get a little bit frustrated. So you need to learn how to get the project going fast enough, but you need to slow down. I mean, I, I think the fact that you're talking about um, people being so important, um, your career has been hugely international, which obviously means you've been de dealt with people um, from all over the world throughout your career. Um, I mean, just a quick look at your bio, you worked in frontier projects in Qatar, Angola, Iran, and obviously most recently in Australia. Is working on kind of greenfield frontier projects a different challenge each time, or is it basically just a similar challenge in a different place? It's the same topics, but it's a very different challenge each time. The topics is, uh, as you, you mentioned, it's people, because like a lot of other things, before all, it's, about, it's all about people keeping them safe, keeping them motivated and getting them to work together, which is the most, uh, probably the most uh, difficult, breaking the silos. So each time it's different because it depends a lot of the different cultures. I've, I've, I've worked with uh, 
with many different uh, people over the over the years, and each culture is uh, is very different. So you you need to you need to learn about it. You need to consider it consider it, and sometimes you you have very little time to do that. And then you deal also with a lot of stakeholders, dealing with the Australian authority like Nopsema for offshore or dealing with the national Iranian oil company for the project South Pars in Iran. As you can imagine, it's very different uh, operating modes. So you need to, to totally, uh, how could I say, re, re, uh, reset yourself each time and, and learn almost from, from zero. But the topics are the same. You've led the development of a number of sizable new organizations. Um, what do you think are some of the most important organizational talent and cultural um, lessons that you've learned over the years? Well, I think it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit uh, what I was starting to mention before. You need to, uh, you need to uh, consider the cultural side of the cultural side of the organization, how people uh, feel about the way you manage, about working with the others. And how people understand you. To be honest, uh, my although I I speak uh, English with a horrible French accent, I know, uh, I uh, but I, I usually I've never had any problems to make myself understood or to understand other people. My last job in Australia was a little bit more complicated because uh, uh, I got very used very quickly to understand people speaking with the Australian accent, but I noticed after many months, but that the opposite was not true. People had very much, very many problems understanding what I was saying. And sometimes I would come out of a meeting thinking that I gave very clear instructions. And then I, I realized talking to some of these people that they, sometimes they understood actually the opposite of what I meant. So, so communicating with people, communicating with different cultures, and it's your job, it's my job to adapt, but uh, sometimes, uh, Sometimes it takes a long time to even realize that, that there's something not right. Louis, if you were starting your career over today, what would be the sorts of markets and sectors that would excite you the most? Well, I mean, uh, I, uh, I love the job I've done. I love the career I've had uh, with uh, Total in particular over 40 years. I have really uh, enjoyed in particular the last uh, projects that I've been in charge of uh, in Passflor, in Angola and Ictis. I've really enjoyed the previous project where I was not myself in charge, but I was part of them. Uh, and uh, the only regret I have is, I, it took me about, it took me a few years before I decided to switch into projects when I was in Total at the beginning. So I wish I'd done that earlier. But today, in addition to that, today, I'm really in full admiration when I see people like, and it's nothing to do with energy. I watch the project managers that are in charge of the, the, the Mars program for the NASA. And I watched recently the, when, the, when the Mars robot landed, landed and we had these videos of the team in the room with the project manager's face waiting for the result and exploding with joy when she heard about the, what happened. And I thought, well, I understand a little bit what she must feel like, but really, I wish I wish I was in our place today because uh, that's a unique feeling. And 
that's the future as well. So today, if I if I had a dream, it would be to 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 be a project director for this kind of program. Yeah. And I'm sure you've enjoyed many of those highs throughout your career. Looking back, what are you most proud of, and what would you like to be remembered for by those in the industry? Well, I am very proud of the two projects that I managed myself and led to success. Of course, I managed them, but it, all this was thanks to all the teams, not to me, but uh, I'm very proud of the achievements. I'm very proud to have done that. Um, project managers, they tend uh, to be at the, to be a little bit uh, at the top of the, the uh, news for a little while, for a few years where they, where they manage the project. Um, and then the, the slope is very steep. Once the project is started, everybody forgets about the project and it's all about running the facilities, which is fine, which I have no problem with. But uh, I, I would love the teams who are today operating Passflow in Angola and still for many years and the teams who are operating ICTIS for 40, 35 years to come. I'd like them to remember the myself, but also the teams that were working with me to to put this project on stream and, and spent a lot of time and effort to do that, yeah. Well, no doubt they will be thinking of you plenty, I'm sure, um, having led all those successful big projects. Thank you so much, Louis, um, for joining us here on LNG TV. Have a lovely day in the south of France. Well, thank you very much, Ali and Will. It's been a pleasure and uh, I hope the weather gets better in London and I hope we can all travel and meet uh, meet face to face very soon. So do I. Thank you so much, Louis. And thank you also for watching this latest episode of LNG Leaders.